you often move a bit slower after exertion, after physical exercise. And I think in business, the faster I move, the more mistakes I make. And I think sometimes just slowing down those decisions, I think really can help. You can often not take risks in business because you're afraid that you might not get it right. In running, you're kind of encouraged to push until you get it wrong. Hello and welcome to Run The Business, the weekly podcast that explores the place where running and leadership come together. We'll find out what running can teach us about leading, managing people, and generally being better in business. We also try to answer the question, do runners make better leaders? I'm Anthony Gay, and today I'm joined by someone who has literally made a business out of running. He's the CEO and founder of Raccoon Events, responsible for delivering, deep breath, the National Running Show, the Run Show USA, the National Snow Show, Snowbound, the National Cycling Show, the National Outdoor Expo, the National Equine Show, and OutsideAndActive.com. He's also one of the UK's first running mayors. More on that later. Mike Seaman, welcome to Run the Business. That, that made me sound like a proper grown-up. Thank you very much. Thanks, thanks for having me. How are you today, Mike? I, well, I'm very well. I'm coming to the end of uh, nine days in isolation after after testing positive for COVID. And as, as a fellow runner, you can imagine how irritating that is because I haven't been able to go outside and run. It's so frustrating. And that was one of my first questions is, when did you last go running? I was due to run an ultra marathon at the weekend. So I was actually tapering. So um, I haven't done a proper run in about three weeks. And that is not good for my brain. <laughs> I bet. And and tell me a little bit about, you can't just sort of drop the ultramarathon mention and, and we move on. What <laughs> was that? Where, where were you meant to be? Well, a friend and I were due to run the West Highland Way, um, which is 96 miles through Scotland. It's absolutely beautiful, but it's kind of 10,000 feet of incline. So it's a really gnarly route. And we had a crew members set up to support us and, and the whole thing. And We've now had to push that back to October, but we're still going to go back and do it um, because it's it's something I've always wanted to do. It's so beautiful up there and it's just such a mega challenge to try and do that in, in one hit. Um, I think it'll just be really fun. And have you done anything similar to that before in terms of distance? I've sort of progressed in running. I, I sort of took it over my late 30s and sort of did a, a marathon or two. Um, and then I sort of progressed from there into trying this weird world of ultra running and I've, I've done a, a few 50 milers I've attempted a lot of 100 milers and finished two um and uh yeah I've done quite a few sort of multi-day things like I've done seven marathons in seven days and, and things like that and you mentioned getting into running in your late 30s well what what did you do with the other part of your life I mean how how did it sort of start I've always loved playing sport and I find it's like a really good release and I, and I loved football I, I would have played football 24 hours a day if I could have done um I was terrible at it but I really enjoyed it and I loved the banter and I love the team and all of that side of things but then I got a job in events which is you know quite a strain on your time so you're always busy you're often away and sort of committing to turn up at a given place at a given time was just really difficult and I kept missing stuff and obviously traveling a lot and uh eating in motorway service stations in some cases you know my uh my, my shape changed a little i became a little bit more blobby and uh i wanted to do something to you know just combat that so i started running i just fell in love with it especially because you can just fit it in wherever you are so even if you were 
overseas at, at another event, perhaps, um, I could get up in the morning, I'd go out, put my trainers on, and I could a explore the city and feel like I'd I'd gotten to know a place, but b feel better about myself, and and then c kind of start the day in in a more positive mindset. So I think I sort of fell in love with it from there, really. And and this podcast is about what running can teach us about business in general. You made a business out of running so which came first well i mean how cool is it that you can turn your hobby into your job and that was something that my uncle once said to me and uh, it really stuck with me and i've been in events for 20 years and i've always organized exhibitions for other people it was not something that i particularly wanted to do at school i sort of fell into it and i did some really boring events i mean i did stuff around uh, franchising and business opportunities that was actually quite fun I did some stuff around construction I've done stuff around payments I've done all kinds of exhibitions and conferences and in some pretty cool places all around the world but it's a really intense job and you're often making fast-paced decisions under under quite a lot of pressure and it, it it can bring out the worst in people actually it's quite it can be quite draining and you're obviously very tired because often what you do is you're up early you, you deliver the event, then you're out as, as a group, you're entertaining, and then you're back up again. And you'd often go sort of three, four hours sleep. And what, what tended to happen to me was I, I, I started to make bad business decisions or, or react in situations in a way that I wouldn't normally because I was so tired and so used to making quick fire decisions that I, I'd often make the wrong ones and I wouldn't react as me. Um, that's where I sort of realised that I wasn't doing anything to sort of, you know, give myself a release. I had no sort of physical outlet. And so that's, that's where the running and, and going to the gym and things like that. And I, and I now integrate that into every away trip I do or event. So when stuff's getting really, really busy, even if it means getting up a little bit earlier and sacrificing a little bit of sleep and never sacrifice on the, the physical outlet, be that a 20 minute gym session an hour run, whatever it may be, just something like that I find is puts me in a much better frame to approach the day. So I had this as part of my life. I was, you know, I was using, I was already already using running um, to sort of support my career. And then um, I had this idea. I went to a marathon expo and there were loads of guys. It was brilliant. There was people selling trainers. There were people giving advice. There was all of the stuff that I could have possibly wanted. Christmas for runners, it sounds like. Oh, it's amazing. Like, literally, if you love running, you go to Marathon Expo, you're just like, wow, this is awesome. But what occurred to me was that the people who were there were about to run their race. And their race was, you know, the Marathon Expo generally runs a couple of days before the race itself. And I just thought, this isn't the wrong time. You, you should never try anything new on a race day. So why is this event happening too late for the runners to give them the advice at the right time? And that was kind of my penny dropped idea. And I went, well, actually, if I did this at the start of the season, when runners are actually looking to start training, choose and buy gear and product and you know, integrate it into a training plan, then actually that would meet the needs of the audience much better. So I did that and I, and I would love to say that I then had the guts to quit my safe corporate job and set it up the next day. I didn't. I, I dithered with it for about seven years um, before my wife finally got sick of me going on about my pub idea because every events person's got a pub idea where if you've had a few beers, you go, if I had my own company, this is, this is what I'd do. Um, and my wife, I remember it. We were on a long car journey back from a friend's house and she just went, will you stop? 
going on about it and just do it. And I did. So I, I quit my corporate job, um, set up a business with a couple of mates in a shed at the end of my garden. Uh, and then fast forward to now, we've been, uh, well, we've been, well, our first event was in 2018. I'm talking to you in July 2022. We've now got 31 people, lots of different brands that we operate around the health and wellness space because we, we launch more off the back of the success of the run show. And my hobby and my job are the same thing. And I, and I genuinely think because I'm passionate about what I do and I love running, um, that I'm better equipped to manage the business because I understand it better. Fascinating story. L- wonderful to hear that. And I've got so many questions from what you've just described there. Uh, the first one is around something you said earlier on there around decision making and how when you were tired at events and, and run down, you didn't feel like the decisions you made were the right decisions or the best decisions. Uh, how did, you know, now when you think about your health and, and wellness and fitness and, and making right decisions, could you, could you speak to that a little bit more in terms of how, how, how that sort of, how you came to understand that and how that came about? I think it's pressure. And I think if you put anything under too much pressure, it cracks. It doesn't matter how tough you are. And I think to relieve pressure, you have an outlet. And, and for me, it's, it's exercise, and in particular running. And why I particularly love to go running at the start of the day, and a lot of people who know me well know that I don't sleep particularly well. I can often, I can often be up at sort of four or five in the morning. Um, if I've gone out and got a run in, um, I, I've processed a lot of the things that I'm going to do that day. I've already pre-considered a lot of the conversations I'm going to have, and I've give myself sort of two or three scenarios about the outcomes and, and I'm prepared for, well, if this happens, I might react in this way. If this happens, I might react in this way. And having an hour's headspace before the kids wake up, before, you know, I'm, I'm into that sort of pressure cooker environment enables me to think about how I'm going to react to the decisions that I'm going to have to make before I'm in the position where I'm making them almost under ambush. Um, and I think for me, that's where I, I really love running and exercise. And for me, that's why I go at the start of the day. It's, it's almost my, my prep work for the day ahead. And it's a physical release. So my mm-hmm. body feels better. And, you know, my brain's a bit calmer because you often, act, you often move a bit slower after exertion, after physical exercise. And I think in business, the faster I move, the more mistakes I make. And I think sometimes just slowing down those decisions, not by a lot, but by a breath, by a beat, I think really can help. That's really powerful, isn't it? Because that idea of, uh, and you've just articulated it so well there about having that pause, that breath before you make that decision. And sometimes just a few seconds can, can be the difference between, um, you know, a, a rash um, action or, or, you know, taking, you know, doing the right thing in the right way. Yeah, because it's often not what you say, it's how you say it. And if, if you're rushing, you, you sometimes skip the niceties or, or the, the bits that matter or, or, you know, dressing stuff up. Sometimes if you've got to deliver bad news, you, you maybe want to add some sort of some supportive comments alongside it. And if you're in a rush, you don't do that. And that can really, that can really send the wrong message. So if you need to deliver some bad news to somebody who's in your team, but they're also a really valuable member of your team, you've got to remind them that they're a really valuable member of your team before you just constantly give them bad news. And if you're rushing, you, those are the things that you, the social niceties and the politeness, those things drop out of your conversation. Um, and, I, and I think they're really important because those little bits matter to people. 
Mike, you also mentioned uh, you mentioned your wife and how she pushed you into the, you know the next stage, uh, and you also mentioned you know having good people around you uh, that, that you got together to to do the, the, you know this this thing that you had in mind. How important is it to have supportive people around you and to to have the right people around you when you are thinking specifically about business right now when you make these decisions it's it's the fundamental success of our business is based on the people that we've got in it um it's nothing to do with me you know it's that old phrase hire good people and get out of their way and I, i'm a big advocate in that um i think you've also if i look at what i believe in and i believe in accountability based management as opposed to hours based management i think that's quite important and that that came from the people that work with us in in the first phase so some of the people that we hired or who volunteered in the first year um they were doing it around childcare or or other issues and and they could only commit to sort of part-time hours but i found i was actually getting more out of those people in a part-time role than i was pro rata from full-time staff and the people that we had in those early years really helped shape that accountability base not hours based approach and we've now unlocked an entire talent pool and i think probably almost 50 percent of our staff are in some way shape or form part-time but they are fantastic and they deliver and they really love it because they're able to remote work when they want they're able to use an office when they want they they know exactly what their job is and they know they will be judged not on how long they sit at a desk but on on what they produce and what they deliver and I think that's really important. And, you know, we've been lucky in that, you know, we've grown to 30 odd people now, which is insane. Um, and almost all of the people that were there with us at the start are still there now. And I'm really proud of that. And are they all runners? Um, they are now. Uh, well, most of them who start say that they're, they're uh, one girl in particular who's a very good friend of mine and I've worked with her for many years. Um, when when I offered the job at Raccoon, she said, I'll do it, but I'm not bloody running. And in, in October, <laughs> we are, she'll be doing her first marathon, having completed like three or four half marathons. Because once you're around it and you meet all of these celebrities and these ambassadors who have such positive experiences from running, it's pretty infectious. Mm-hmm. And you kind of go, well, maybe I'll give it a try. And then once you get your trainers on and you're out there, you know, it's hard to go back and, you know, it's really easy to see progress on running, really easy to fit it around a busy life. Um, and it's, it is really addictive. And do you, uh, thinking about your running, do you run uh, mainly on your own or do you like to run with your team or with other people? I'm, I'm a mixed bag. I mean, obviously when I get up at antisocial, if, if I'm up early and it's an antisocial hour, I'll generally be on my own. And I quite like that if I'm using it as a sort of a, a headspace run. I also quite, I've got a group of friends who I run with regularly, some who I've met through the running show. And, you know, I love running with them for different reasons. They help me improve. We have a laugh. It's, it's much more banter. And then with races and things like that, I, I quite enjoy that sort of community spirit, meeting someone that you've never met before and, you know, maybe running with them for a few hours and just chatting about whatever comes up. So I, I kind of like to mix and match. And I think it depends on what, I want to get out of the run as to whether I want to go solo or with others. Okay. That makes total sense. And 
something that we uh, on this podcast have talked about um, in the relationship between business and, and running, finding those parallels is is metrics and, and things like goals and, and what your um, objectives are. How much time do you spend uh, on either business or, or running objectives? And, and can you see parallels between the two? Yeah, I mean, it's probably what I spend most of my time doing is you, you, you've got to work out where you are um, and you've got to work out where you want to get. And then you, you, you figure out a map between the two. And that is such a parallel for both running and business. And it's really important to celebrate the victories along the way. I mean, often, you know, if, if you use the running analogy and apply it to business and say, OK, I'm, I'm currently running a let's say you're running a five hour marathon. and You want to run a four hour marathon. Um, you can beat yourself up every time you don't run a four hour marathon or you can celebrate the success every time you take a minute off your five hour pace until you get to your four hour marathon. Um, and I think that's, that's a really good analogy for business in terms of obviously we've got grand plans for where we want to be. I, my, my vision for the business, we're probably about 5% of the way along, but it's really important that we accept and uh, celebrate the milestones as we hit them. And, I think there's a there's a real sort of parallel between sort of running and business, and I think running teaches you to to get through adversity, you know, because you realise it's not a straight line. And I often say that water always gets downhill eventually. You just don't know quite which way it's going to go, um, and it's the same with your running time. So you might go out there one day, and you, you're doing your five hour and your four hour. I'm going to stretch this analogy now, um, but. Last week you ran a four thirty one. This week you're running a four forty five, and you don't know why. And often there doesn't need to be a reason why. There probably is a reason why, and you might be able to diagnose it. You might not, but actually, it doesn't really matter because that's happened now. Let's see if we can get back to that four thirty one. Let's go again, and eventually, you your times will reduce over time in the aggregate. Makes sense. Makes sense. You've been part of the running, uh, you know, events business now for a while. Uh, it must give you a really interesting perspective on how things have grown because it only th- feels like they're getting bigger. How big is the running business? Can you give us some kind of sort of perspective on that? Oh, that's a really interesting question. So there's there's as positive data around that particular point, and uh, depending on which survey you read, there's between six and 10 and 12 million runners in the UK. So somewhere between 10 and 20% of the population classify themselves as a runner. So between that sort of 10 and 20% of the population, that's a significant number of people who get up, lace up, go out. So the market is huge. Um, and you're seeing more and more brands targeting that area. Certainly as a show, when we ran the first one, I think we had 80 stands and about 10,000 visitors. We now get 27,500 visitors and about just under 300 stands at the show. So that tells you the breadth and depth of products and services that are available to people who love running. Amazing. I think the important bit and, and the big change is the rise in community running. And this is where things like Parkrun have, have really sort of helped accelerate the sport um, because it isn't now just about people in tight Lycra who look like stick insects running really, really fast. It's Running is a, is a way of progressing your fitness for people of all shapes and sizes. And, you know, we, we talk about that a lot of the show. We say it's no matter how far or fast you go. And you know, as long as you take a step out the door, then for us, you're a runner. Um, and that's, that's what the show should be. And I love that about the show. When you come to the running show, it's literally, I mean, it doesn't, 
look like that stereotypical view of a stick thing runner. It's it's a really broad and diverse community. And we have just as many people interested in ultramarathons as we do in people doing couch to 5Ks. And I think that's brilliant. You mentioned community, and that's such an important thing, isn't it? And, and the running community. Mm. You know, you can attend an event, whether it is a 5K or an ultra, and instantly there is a connection between all the people who are there and, and there is a, you know, an energy, a spirit, whatever you want to call it. Um, sort of thinking of business, particularly post-COVID, looking after people uh, and making sure that, that you know, the, the values and the culture of the business are positive and, you know, framed properly is now it's accelerated in its importance and i think and and when i look at running and how it's able to capture that spirit that you've just described i think business there's a lot that business can can learn from that in in bringing people together to share the same goals 100% and it's it's never truer than with events because how do you turn your audience into fans and I, and i think that's quite an important step and if you if you exactly as you say, there's this thing in the running community that just galvanizes everybody and pulls them together. You've all got a shared objective, a shared goal, and you almost act as one. And and actually, if you're a business or a brand and you've got an audience of customers, well, how do you turn your audience into people that really advocate for you? I mean, this is going back to the whole net promoter score thing, but you know, it, and we looked at that, and I, I look back at what we did in COVID, um, which is obviously a tough time for us, isn't it? as a live events business, um, we made a very clear decision that we we weren't going to let any staff go. We were going to look after them. And we were going to do stuff that was good. We were going to be positive and we were going to contribute positively to the markets that we served. So, um, and, and that, that was our objective. We were going to try and stay alive with the money that we had. We were going to keep our people. We were going to look after the community. So we did this. Um, we, we set up a newsletter to our database, which we made free for all of the brands that operated in the running community. And we said, look, advertise on our newsletter. This is a way for you to talk to the audience of runners that still want your products. Um, you can't see them face to face, but maybe you can do it digitally and it's free. So that brought loads of loyalty for us with, with our sponsors so that when we did come back, and that wasn't the reason we did it, we did it with good intentions. But because we were trying to create a community-led business where we looked after the community, they've now paid us back and that loyalty won't go away. Those people remember what we did and have supported us in return. And on the visitor side, we were very conscious that during lockdown, there was that period where you could only go outside of your house for an hour a day. And there were lots of people who lived in urban environments and maybe couldn't get out to a, a decent outside space. Um, or there were people who had to use their hour for something like a dog walk or, um, or to, to go and uh, do something different. And they, they weren't necessarily getting the exercise in that they wanted. And we were kind of like, how can we be creative? So we did this thing called the Indoor Relay, um, which was a one month long Zoom call. Um, and people could log on to it for an hour at a time and they could run anywhere within the confines of the boundary of their property. So we had people doing obstacle courses in their lounge. We had people running around the garden. We had up and down the stairs. We, we had jogging on the spot. We had treadmills. We had all sorts of things. This thing, and we did it all to raise money for charities that were relevant to issues that were occurring. We had five different charities. And we raised about £50,000. And it was, I mean, it was a month-long Zoom call. And there would have to be one of us manning it at all times. It was 
you know, we had to build a website, we had to build all of the connectivity and all of that sort of stuff. So it cost us a lot of money to do um, and a lot of time. But it was a really important thing to do. It really galvanised the community. And a lot of the people that were team captains, and we, um, we brought them into, into, the, uh, into the fold and we started working with them in other capacities. So some of them have become ambassadors for our brand. Some of them have become speakers at the shows. Mm-hmm. And just by starting, to, to wind this back to your question, by starting with a pure objective, like how do we bind the community together? How do we do something positive and, and galvanize everybody we're using our brand as the as the focus point but not thinking about what's in it for us we accidentally created a shed load of opportunities that have now paid us back and i think authenticity is is the key to that so if you're trying to emulate that community feel that you get at a running event um you have to authentically engage with your audience and you have to try and find something to bind them together without trying to spot the commercial opportunity it will come um, you've just got to have that pure intention. Ah, you've you know articulated that so well, Mike, and that it's it's intangible, isn't it? Some of this stuff, but it's so important. And if you only have you know money as a metric, um, then I, I can't see how in the long term you'll succeed. Uh, but the purpose that you've just described there, and and how you engage that community, so powerful. Well, we so we talk about purposeful profit inside our business, and. We we wrote out, and you know this is that why, what, how model that I'm sure most people are aware of. And it's if you don't have a why, does your business exist? If you don't have a set of values that you stand for, um, then your business will always be focused on on profit. Now, don't get me wrong, we are focused on profit, and and we want to generate a profit. We've got shareholders who who deserve that, and they've invested in us because they believe in it. But we also want to do it in the right way, and we we don't want to just plunder. We want to support the communities that we serve and we want to do business our way. So, you know, for me, sustainability is quite important. I, I work in the events business. And when I started, do you think the industry was horrendous? There was, you know, they used to burn carpet in a skip outside the event. And that was, that was quite common. I mean, that doesn't happen now. And they've moved it on. And now I'm trying to, trying to get people to get rid of carpets in events now. And, and yep. uh, in, in most cases, they are, I think. It, it, but, you know, Actually, as a business, we've now set a goal to be net zero by 2025. That's really difficult. But by giving ourselves that goal, we've started, we, and we're on a process of measure, reduce, measure, reduce. And inevitably, there will be some kind of carbon extraction that we have to do at the end in terms of planting trees. But actually, what we're doing is by having that goal, we're changing a lot of the way things work. And then we communicate that to our sponsors. And they actually share our values because all of our audience and all of our exhibitors and sponsors, they, they support being active outside. So, of course, they're going to share that goal about protecting the environment within which we play. So actually, again, starting with that pure objective, which is I just want to do something good and I don't want to be burning carpets. Mm. We've actually gone along a process. We've, we've set ourselves a big goal and, and we're going through it. There's actually helping us deliver more profit because... ESG is, is now a thing in, in business valuation. So if, if you're a business owner and you're looking to create value, then you need to think about the environment. You need to think about the other areas of your business around, do you have a diversity policy? Do you, you know, we, we operate a policy at all of our events about conscious inclusion. You know, representation is incredibly important. And we, we put speakers up on a stage. And if we only put people up 
that look a certain way or are from a certain background, then that's not encouraging new people to participate. Again, that's great for us because that grows the market, which grows our audience, which brings in more people, which makes the sponsors happier because they're, they're selling more stuff. So to take this back to the events industry where I work, events have traditionally had a life cycle where they grow really fast and they're generally sort of launched by a founder who really loves it and invests and invests and then they get bought by somebody else who looks to squeeze profit and you know they they start to invest less and charge more to create a bigger bottom line whereas our business is is fundamentally structured to avoid that so we donate a percentage of our profits back into the community for whatever event we serve so we will always continue to invest so in the running show we've got a grant scheme in our outdoor expo we we donate to charitable causes and we give 10% back to an industry association and we do this across all of our events and I think that's that's really important because you create that circular loop that means that your community needs you as much as you need them and that will stop you from sort of dying out or losing relevance. And it feels like people like you, Mike, it's thanks to people like you and, and race organisers and run organisers around the world um, that are you know taking the lead with this stuff and it does feel like running... Uh, and you know fitness but specifically running is, is playing a big part in the running community in, in driving this forward i think that's another parallel for for running in business that fear of failure and, and i think there's business you can you can often not take risks in business because you're afraid of that you might not get it right um in running you're kind of encouraged to push until you get it wrong and and actually you're prepared and you're reactive so that when you get to the big day the race day You've, you've tried all the different things and you're prepared enough that hopefully it doesn't go wrong, although still sometimes then it does. Um, and, and I think that's okay. It's that acceptance that failure is a natural part of growth. And I think that's really important in business as well. I see a lot of people who are so terrified of failing that they don't take any risks. Now, look, we don't want to consistently fail and we don't want to put ourselves into positions where we're set up to fail. We put ourselves in the positions where we have a chance of success, but where we're also prepared to fail. And if things go wrong, it's not the end of the world. We can always go out again tomorrow and run again. Absolutely, absolutely. Mike, this podcast it is all obviously about how running might help people in business and leadership. Um, can you think of any specific examples of a, of a run or when running taught you a lesson or, or gave you some space to solve a particular problem that you or something you transferred in, into work is there anything sort of you know thinking quite granular now is there is there a moment where something happened from a, in a run um i think i think it's probably the adversity piece and and failing so i i was really well prepared i, was, I ran a hundred miler with a friend of mine and it was his first hundred and i was there to support him and run with him and we'd run a 50 miler a few weeks before and he he was in pieces and not in a good way and I felt absolutely fine I felt like I'd run to the end of the road and I was like wow I am in shape I am on fire and there's a bit of hubris here um and then we get to the race day and 30 miles in I'm a mess like and he's fine I mean he's he's struggling but he's got this core about him that that this sort of central pillar of strength that, that drives him forwards and we split at about 35 miles I tell him to go on and the rest of the crew support him and, and I end up dropping out of the race at 48 miles in absolute bits I was all over the place and I and I you know I, I came back I, I 
came back and watched him finish and, and supported at the end. But um, it, it just showed me that, A, it was a lesson in hubris. Like, you know, you're never as good as you think you are. And just be careful not to celebrate your successes too much because, you know, you can succeed at something then try and do the same thing a few weeks later and you'll absolutely die on your ass. Um, and, and I did. I, I, I died on my ass. And it was yeah. just to try and stay humble in the face of a challenge. Um, and I think that that is really important. I consistently look at everything I'm going to do and expect to fail. And I'm prepared to fail. I, and I try everything in my power to stop it from failing. But I also understand that every now and then I am going to fail. And it's not the end of the world because... Two months later, from that race, I went back out and I did a hundred miler, and and I finished it, and it was just so it, it's it's about taking the edges off those highs and off those lows, and making sure that you just stay a little bit more level. That's such good advice. Um, that balanced uh, approach and attitude um, get gets you a long way, doesn't it? Can you tell us about a run near you that you? enjoy and you do on a regular basis maybe you know paint some pictures for us about kind of the, the experience that you get on that run and how it feels so i live in surrey and the office is 10 miles from my house which is conveniently placed so i, I can run that along the road or if i go on the trails it's about 13 miles but then i get to go up on the north downs way which is absolutely stunning and it is such a great way to start or end your day to run along probably one of the most beautiful trail paths in the country. It's, it, you know, really lucky to do it. And it's, it's pretty bumpy. Um, you know, I don't go along it particularly fast, um, but I just absolutely love it. And if it's a decompress at the end of the day or a kickoff to get the day started, it's just really good for the soul. And is that space important for you? You mentioned the, the, the sort of, you know, the decompress between work and home. Uh, because running is such a big part of your personal life and, and your business. How do you balance that? Do you, do you ever sort of need to just get away from it completely? Or how do, how do you schedule your time? I, I, I try and sort of run to feel. And if it's, you know, for, for me, if I'm not out sort of three or four times a week, I really notice it. It really does affect my mood. Um, I, I also notice if I'm, I'm a bad dad, if I've done some exercise um, during the course of the day, I, when I used to work in London, I used to, I'd usually leave the house around seven and I'd be home just after seven. And I'd have, I'd have come back on a crowded train, you know, probably three hours of that day was spent on a sweaty, hot train with people who were generally quite angry at life. Um, and, and you get home and you'd be in such a rush to rush home to, to make it in time for bedtime that I, my engagements were really snatched and my, um, mentality was quite poor because I hadn't considered like what how I wanted to be when I got there I was just so busy rushing to get there um and and now with with the running thing I think I think family time is really important to me and I, I do so I I don't get into the office until half past nine now um because I like to be there for the kids in the morning I like to do all of that I tend to try and get up early and get my run done before the kids are awake and that's quite an important part of the day for me and I like to be there before they go to bed now I may then go back online in the evening um but I just it's, it's about quality of engagement so if I'm on family time I want to be on family time not checking my phone not taking calls 
my wife, if my wife was here now, she would be rolling her eyes going, yeah, right. Because obviously that does happen on some occasions, but I, I try to sort of ensure that the time with the family is the time with the family. Um, I try to ensure that when I'm at work, I'm at work and I'm there and I'm not messing about. I'm not procrastinating on stuff. I'm delivering stuff in a productive and expedient fashion. And if I'm training, I try and train, but I've often actually mixed calls, work calls with training. <laughs> and there'll be a few people like you can't do it with everyone because it's a bit weird if you're running along and you're huffing and puffing. But actually we, you know, we have, we've got a walking meeting coming up with the client in a, in a few weeks. I've got, I, when I do catch-ups with people in the industry, we'll often go for a run together. Um, catch-ups with my team will go for a run together. And they may be stationary and I may be running, but we're chatting, or they, they may be running with me. It's, it, you know, I leave that to their personal preference. But as long as you pre-warn that that might be the case, it's a bit weird if someone calls you and you're huffing and puffing and you don't talk about it. But actually, I think it's quite authentic if you're running a running show and someone rings you up and you're running and you say, look, are you happy for me to carry on the call while I'm running? And they're like, yeah. Yeah, it makes total sense. And I, I think even, you know, a takeaway here for me is, the, you know, that idea of the walk and, walking meeting, which, you know, if, if you have uh, something to discuss with somebody, uh, you know, a brainstorm or something, just by walking, it changes the energy, doesn't it? When, you, when you're kind of out, you know, moving around, you know, taking in the environment and it can change the energy in a positive way and bring solutions and ideas forward that that wouldn't be there in a meeting room. I, I totally agree. And I think there's, we have built a culture of sitting down at a desk and it's not good for people. And it, and it you know, I, I think part as leaders, part of our job is to ensure that people move away from their desk. Um, and you have to set a good example there. So in our business, I had this great idea when we set it up and I said, look, we're gonna have two hours available in the day You've got your lunch break and then you've got your exercise hour. And I don't, I don't want you to have to sacrifice your lunch because you, you want to go out and, and take exercise. Now, of course, no one does this. <laughs> it's like they're all stuffing a sandwich down their neck and then I'm trying to kick them out the door and say, make them move. But I make sure I do it every now and then. And if they see you doing it, then they are more likely to do it. So, look, they won't take that time every single day. But if you can start to promote encourage and embody healthy habits then it you will breed a healthier workforce who generally perform better and actually picking them up and saying right let's we, we're going to have a meeting but let's let's go for a walk and do it makes a huge difference and is is just such an easy thing for you to do i agree and and as leaders leading by example in these scenarios is you, you've got to set the tone and 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 people will you know look to you for for the direction so i think that makes that makes a lot of sense one of the questions that I usually ask is around, you know, do you recommend running to your clients? We've kind of covered, we've covered that a, a, a fair bit in that it is your business. But uh, one thing I wanted to pick up on is uh, the running mayor role that you have and what that means and, and how you go about doing that. Because that's another way that you're bringing running to people who uh, wouldn't normally uh, get to do it. So there's an organisation called Runsum, and uh, they 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 set up this running mayor campaign, and and the idea is is just to promote running in the local area. And if you look at the percentage of journeys that are less than three miles that are made by car, it's significant. I don't have the stat to hand, but it, it's it's huge. The majority of journeys that are taken by car are less than three miles, which makes them accessible by by foot or by active travel 
And the government has a big strategy around active travel to make things safer. But actually, if you look at the local, I don't know about the local area you're in, but a lot of the footpaths are are not as easy to access as they might be. A lot of the routes don't even have footpaths. And if you look at a lot of our sort of routes into work or into towns or into conurbations, they 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 are massively skewed in favour of cars. Bikes might have a tiny little lane where they might get squashed off the road. Um, pedestrians somehow seem to have have fallen off the radar, and in particular runners. And what, what running does is it sort of bridges that gap between a journey that's a walkable journey and a journey that's a, a cyclable journey in terms of this active travel part of the budget. Now, weirdly, the government does not recognise running in its active travel policy. It, it recognises walking and it recognises cycling. Um, and it kind of lumps in walking and running together. So my journey, my active travel to the office, my 10-mile commute, wouldn't show up as on any government plan around an active utilizing their active travel budget so the active travel budget is essentially spent on providing infrastructure to support active travel into wherever it may be so my 10 mile run into the office isn't recognized by the government and and that's partly what i see my role as a running mayor to do is to say look actually running is a viable method of travel and it, and it is a solution to, to some of those micro journeys that are currently being taken by car. And we need more infrastructure to support that. Um, and that, that's where I see the role. It, it's a broad campaign. There's lots of people approaching it in different ways. We're, we're all there just to try and raise awareness of running and promote more people into doing it. And that's, that's mainly through talking about the benefits. There's environmental benefits, there's health and wellbeing benefits, and there's social benefits. We'll put some notes in the um, in, in the show notes if people want to find out more about that and, and what's happening in their in their local area. A uh, few more questions. Uh, it's been you know fantastic conversation so far. Uh, running aside, can you name uh, one business tool, an app, a person, something that you couldn't do without in business? Hmm. Um, I'd probably say. I mean, I'm gonna have to say my phone. Uh, it's because because I'm on it continuously um that's probably the thing that i use the most in terms of the person i think it would be i think it would be it would be people not a person i think it would be the team i have around me um i i couldn't function without the people that we have in the business it would be wrong to single any one of them out um i'm really lucky in that i work with a group of people who are incredibly talented very hard working and a really good laugh I mean, banter is such an important part of our office culture and our and our daily grind. And I think, yeah, actually, if I was to say it down to one thing, it's banter. If you if you go to work with a smile on your face and you enjoy what you do, then it's generally you generally do better at it. Agree, agree. And uh, business aside, Mike, uh, what's your favourite bit of running kit or? accessory you can't do without and i guess you have to be careful because you've got so many brands and so many different things that you work with uh, i i don't want to put you on the spot but is there something that you personally really um champion and get a lot out of do you know my favorite thing is my national running show t-shirt uh that was the only thing that i could say without offending someone uh you know I, I, to be honest i think for me it's it's the tracker the data tracker the watch yeah not everybody likes that i i'm i'm not a slave to data so I, I kind of I kind of look at it afterwards and it's it's my little pat on the back every time I look back at my watch and go oh I just did that 
and it's that that's that's my uh one concession to to sort of my ego is going oh i did all right there and then and then you you sort of no one else cares but like it, it's 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 good it, that makes you feel good doesn't it absolutely i and i won't push you for a brand or a, or a version okay. <laughs> absolutely not yeah <laughs> Final question, what advice would you give to anybody in business or in a leadership role considering getting more active and specifically taking up running? Just do it. Um, it's, it's such a positive influence on your ability uh, to function as a leader. And I think if you, if you take the time to pause and make yourself better um, through physical activity, then it will it will help and support your mind it will it will improve your decision making and and your health uh, uh, mike when's the when's the next event coming up what what's your next uh, thing on the on the calendar our next event is the national snow show in october um so we have a little break now because it's july now this is this is our downtime qu- point of the year but then very quickly we have kind of six events in six months so it it, it ramps up really quickly and the next running event is that at the beginning of uh, next year yeah, so the next National Running Show will be at the NEC in January. Mike, thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely fascinating to get your perspective on on running and business. I could talk to you for hours about it, but I, let's pause there. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Amazing. Thanks for having me, mate. I've enjoyed it. Thanks again to Mike Seaman, the man behind the National Running Show, for being today's guest on Run the Business. So three things that I'm going to take away from that conversation, and there were lots of others, but I'll pick three. Uh, First one is giving yourself permission to fail. It feels even harder at the moment in business when times are tough. Failure isn't tolerated. It feels like playing it safe is the best option. The process of running and running training is about failing, isn't it? It's about finding out where the edges are in your performance, finding out how far you can push yourself and extending your performance over time. How can you make failure an okay part of your business mindset? That's something that I want to work on. Uh, Second point, having meetings on the move. This is quite a tangible one. Okay, running meetings might not be practical for everybody, but just going out for a walk, a change of environment can change the energy, bring forward ideas, solutions, and connections with colleagues that wouldn't be there in the office or in a meeting room. As Mike said, we're not designed to sit at desks all day. So getting out there and just getting moving is is such a powerful thing. And finally, I love Mike's idea of an hour for lunch and an hour for running or some sort of health and self-care experience. Now, I appreciate it's easier said than done, but maybe there's a smaller version of that that we could introduce into business that becomes part of your business culture. Uh, Potential employees think much more than simply salary these days. Uh, Ultimately, as Mike explained, he gets much more back from his team by giving them the space to do their work in their own way. So how can we lead by example and, and bring that health and wellness into our businesses and allow our people that space to to do it without any sense of guilt? If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please rate it positively, spread the word and share it wherever you can. It really, really helps. Uh, Run the Business is a real two media production with thanks to Chris Kelly and Anna Harding for helping make it possible. A quote to finish. uh, This one came up in a business presentation I saw a while back. 
but I think it applies to running as much as it does to business. There is no one giant step that does it. It's a lot of little steps. So get out there and take some little steps today. I'm Anthony Gay, and until next time, keep running and keep chasing your goals.